This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel and it's a good one as our Liverpool FC correspondent Paul Gorsh speaks exclusively to former Reds chief executive Peter Moore. Moore is a lifelong Red and he explains how he came to take the job of his dreams, his decision to leave in the summer, his replacement Billy Hogan, his legacy and his thoughts on FSG who today is celebrating 10 years in charge of the club. The podcast was recorded the morning after the defeat to Aston Villa and Paul starts by asking Peter how it feels purely to be a fan again other than last night yeah it's great (laughs) yeah no it's uh obviously you know lifetime of a fan i mean 60 odd years of a fan so um the um it's easy to put my shirt back on as i did last night and cheer for the team and uh uh you know not have to worry about uh showing elegance courtesy decorum in the director's (laughs) box so no it's fine and and last night i'm sure was just a little bit of a speed bump yeah, crazy game. Um, yeah. Just, I just want to go back to, to your first days at the club then back in June 2017. I think it was announced a little bit earlier that, that you were going to join later that year. Um, how did it all come about and, and um, you know, what were your feelings at the time? Because it must have been a bit of a dream come true for yourself. Yeah, look, I, you know, I'd, uh, I'd been over quite a bit prior to that. I was a boardroom member in the new main stand and so I had... Uh, joined, you know, as kind of a super fan, if you like, at that point, and, and was flying over from San Francisco uh, every opportunity that I possibly could to enjoy my boardroom seats in the wonderful new main stand. Um, and uh, during that period of time, I was contacted, as these things often uh, happen, through an executive recruiter, and uh, lengthy conversations ensued between the recruiter and then ultimately FSG ownership. and. Um, Finally, you know, after um, understanding what the role was, um, said yes. And uh, I think the announcement had to be made rather hastily in late, late February, actually. And uh, then I was flew over in April, and my start date was June 1st of 2017. Yeah, I mean, you've obviously worked for some huge companies prior to, to LFC, but uh, what, what were the kind of first things that struck you, you know, working for a football club and, and particularly one that, you know, was so close to your heart? I think for me, you know, it's like any industry, it's business. Um, you know, my experience prior to that was 10 years at EA, five years at Microsoft. So uh, to your point, worked at very large companies. And uh, my first few months were understanding the people, understanding what we needed to do as an enterprise to, um, you know, help uh, create this uh, virtuous cycle of driving as much revenue as we possibly could to be able to you know, invest that on the pitch, which we were ultimately able to do, um, you know, build our commercial relationships. From my perspective, I have the unique ability to get closer to the fans, both locally and globally, um, build civic relationships with the mayor, both mayors, chief constable, everybody pretty much that, that ran the city of Liverpool because of the reliance uh, of, of revenues that were coming in. Um, from Liverpool Football Club, close to half a billion pounds a year, uh, dropping to the bottom line for the for the city itself, and, and doing so much good for the city on a global basis, uh, as well as doing so much for the community um, and locally. And, and, and pretty quickly thereafter, I founded my own foundation here and um, funded that, and um, you know started to figure out how I could help the people here once they understood some of the issues that we were facing as Liverpoolians both during that time and, in fact, you know, even yeah. more so right now. 
Yeah, I, I remember when, when you first joined, you were very, very visible and, and very vocal on social media, you know, communicating with fans and so on. Um, I think there was a bit of confusion. Some people thought that you were responsible for transfers and, and that was certainly, you know, people are always trying to get in touch to tell you to buy X, Y and Z, but you, you'd always responded and you're always engaging with them. And was that kind of a conscious decision or was that just you being, being natural and, and as a supporter? It's something that flowed over from my days at EA where, where I had um, uh, formed uh, kind of a, uh, a group within EA that would help me engage with gamers. And we needed that at EA for a lot of reasons during that period of time. I'm talking, you know, four or five years ago um, to help the company engage deeper with gamers who had a, a little bit of a suspicion, if you will, about big gaming publishers. And uh, I had the personality and, and the, um, uh, I think, the willingness to engage, help them, give the human side to EA, which was important to, to hundreds of millions of gamers who engage with our games throughout uh, the year, and I felt that it would probably be appropriate to do the same um, with our fans here in Liverpool and, and, and around the world. And so I took my Twitter account, changed the handle a little bit to, to LFC, and uh, started to engage and, and kind of experimented with it over the first few months of what was appropriate, what was inappropriate, what, what, was, um, what would add value to, to, to gaming. And, and, a lot of it then I took very um, privately through DMs. Uh, initially, it was very much me being seen to tweet and tweet back or, or you know, lesser to you guys, Instagram or Facebook, but primarily Twitter as the platform. Um, and then uh, I think in the last 18 months to two years, most of what I have done has been very much, um, you know, I would follow people, people would, people would ask me to follow them, and then we would go offline, if you will, yeah. and uh, help them. And, um, you know, dozens, if not bluntly, hundreds of situations where people needed help, family needed help, um, simple stuff sorting out their problems with retail all the way to, you know, terminally young children that just wanted to meet their heroes and every yeah. kind of stop in between. So, yeah, I I, I, I was using social media in, in an innovative way that, um, you know, I felt could be of value to our fans. Yeah, it seemed, seemed like a very large remit, but how kind of difficult a decision was it to, to, uh, to you know, announced in July that you were going to step aside? Was that always part of, of your plan, or, or was it something that um, was just kind of developed over a certain amount of time since you've been at the club? Well, I'd, done a, I'd signed a three-year deal uh, commencing June 1st, and, and in fact, we extended that as the season got extended because of the pandemic, and so, um, you know, we another two, maybe three months extension on that just to, to get us through into September um, and make sure that, um, you know, the club was in fine shape coming through the pandemic. And we had a succession plan with Billy Hogan in place. You know, he's been with the club eight years uh, and an FSG veteran. Um, so very smooth transition, as you could probably see. Um, and, you know, a lot of the rationale behind it is, my wife and I have six kids between us. When I say kids, you know, my eldest is 37, but spread all over America. Uh, I have one daughter who lives here, uh, loves Liverpool and, and lives here with us. But the other five are spread between kind of New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. And I think, um, you know, our plans were always to go back, but, you know, what's gone on and since March has really accelerated that thought process of we just need to get back. And, you know, um, 
I'm approaching 66 years of age, so you've only got so much time with your kids. Um, and so from that perspective, uh, we decided that it was probably the right time. We couldn't have, you know, done more bluntly when you look at the three years and so much visible on the pitch, what it achieved, but off the pitch, um, you see it a little bit, Paul, because you're, you're local from the perspective of what we've been able to do, Get I think, get closer to fans, get closer to the community, get closer to civic leaders, make the club feel a tighter part, both locally and globally, uh, of this kind of ecosystem of, of fans and club and players and manager, um, and, and kind of break some, down some of those barriers of, you know, fans have somewhat of a suspicion of the people who run clubs, the, the corporates, quote-unquote, the suits, quote-unquote. And I wanted to, you know, I think Liverpool's different. The city of Liverpool is different. Liverpoolians are different. Uh, I am one of those, and, and I wanted to make sure that they recognized that, that I was representing not only my bosses, uh, but also the city and the people who live in the city. And the people, as I traveled the world and did official Liverpool Supporters Club events, you know, 16 different events around the world, um, you know, going into a bar and the official uh, Supporters Club bar in Cape Town, Dubai, Bangkok, Shanghai, Madrid, Munich, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and, and spending the evening with them and talking about the club and making a presentation. And um, I felt that was important. Uh, and so all of that came together, I think, well over the three years. And as I say, with a, like any um, well-run company, if you will, you need a succession plan. And uh, that succession plan was Billy Hogan. And, and Billy has hit the ground running, as you might imagine. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It was someone I wanted to ask about, actually, Billy. Um, he's obviously worked as the CEO before taking over your role. Um, almost feels like, a, from the outside, looking in a very organic kind of transition ability to step into to that role and kind of carry on the work that he's been doing. That's something that you'd agree with? Absolutely. I mean, one of the success stories that you can point to with this football club is our commercial growth, which gives us the ability to bring in quality sponsors that are global sponsors that obviously drive revenue to the bottom line. But equally importantly, um, these are people that activate the Liverpool Football Club uh, brand on a worldwide basis. The likes of a Nike most recently bought, you know, AXA, uh, you know, Standard Chartered. All of these companies, um, not only, as I say, do they um, help us with, uh, you know, the, the revenue, but help us with, with our presence on a global basis. They're all global companies. And, Billy has been at the forefront of that and, and will continue to drive that. And it's important if we're going to compete and continue to compete in a self-sustaining manner with the top clubs in the world, um, some of whom have slightly different business models, um, then, then we need to continue to drive the top line um, with companies that want to be associated with Liverpool Football Club. And it's truly a virtuous cycle, which... Yeah. They pay you, you know, large sums of money, and you take those large sums of money. You invest in defenders, midfielders, you know, forwards, goalkeepers, and those guys deliver results. And the better you are as a football club, the better quality of sponsors want to be associated with you. And it's it's truly a virtuous cycle uh, that we we adhere to as our business model here. Yeah, I mean, it's been ten years now since. Uh, Fenway Sports Group took over the club since that chaotic week in the High Court uh, in London. Um, it's not been an overnight success story, but it certainly has been a success story, particularly in the last couple of years. Um, where, where do you think, obviously, 
Um, Jürgen coming in was, was seen as a, as a catalyst, but um, where else do you think have been like the, the big kind of success points for FSG to kind of you know hang their hat on almost? I think it's 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 developing, sticking to, and executing against a long-range plan that has patience, that has capital, that is not taking money out of the football club uh, as its core tenants. Um, you know, the first few years, you know, we're not we're not great, and, and some turmoil in there. To your point, you know, landing the manager that they wanted to land, and then backing that manager uh, and putting the infrastructure in place having, if you will, the foresight to develop an organizational structure that is the modern football club, that is the manager, that is the sporting director, that is the CEO, all reporting in vertical channels um, and, and each having very clear responsibilities. Um, that's the key element, I think, to our success. And, and you know, FSU on top of that invested their capital in things like the new main stand, um, the, the, the new mega store, obviously the Kirby um, training center, which is absolutely world class and the team will, will be moving into that soon. Um, all of that, um, you know, fans don't really focus on that stuff, but it's, it's integral and core to the long term success of the football club. And uh, as much, for example, as we love Melwood, it, it probably ultimately, um, you know, is, is not fit for purpose for what you need, particularly when you want to bring your academy closer to your first team. And the success that we're having with our academy and, and the players that are coming through, that becomes even more critical. And the fact that they were a good 20-minute drive from each other, um, you know, wasn't ideal. And, and most of the football clubs we compete against, that is not the case. Everything is integrated, yeah. and that's what we needed to do. And so I think... What FSG has been able to do is very similar to what they did with the Boston Red Sox, and I have this unique perspective because I was living in Boston um, when when they acquired the Red Sox, and you know, 86 years of futility of, of not winning a World Series, and here we stand today, and they've won three, um, and a lot of that to do with focus on on basically data and science and having a long-term strategy, believing in people. Very similar there, young general manager Theo Epstein, who came in and, and they believed in him, and he had uh, the, the ability to identify talent and, and to get great value uh, for that talent. Uh, and uh, the result of that is, is three championships. So, and very similar to what we're, we're doing here. Or what, you know. uh, just a, a couple more then, Peter. Um, you leave Liverpool with a legacy that saw you kind of champion the, the growth of LFC women. Um, yeah instrumental in, in making sure that Sean Cox and, and his family didn't walk alone, if you like, and, um, you know, quite a lot to kind of hang your hat on now that you leave the football club. What, um, what would you say you're most proud of across the three years? I, I mean, for me, somebody said, we had a few leaving events a few weeks ago, and, and somebody came up to me, uh, who shall rename name, nameless, but you know, and, and said, one thing I want to say, forget everything went on the field. As a fan, I've never felt closer to the football club that I love, and that's down to you. And that one statement I will take with me, and that all of the things you can point to from money and spreadsheets and business and operating structure and whatever are great, but when somebody says they've never felt closer to the football club they love, um, and that's down to you, then that's, that's what I've taken with me, and that's what I'll take back to the United States with me is something I will remember. Yeah, uh, it was just fine. And then, Peter, uh, 
what's uh, what, what's your message to your, to your former employees FSG as they approach their ten year anniversary as, as owners, and and what do you say to the to the supporters who you served for three years? Yeah, for me, I mean, it's congratulations to to obviously to my bosses for for everything they've achieved. Um, coming in, believing in the football club, fighting to get control of the football club. Uh, difficult time, as we all remember, during that period. And I was even coming over then, 10, 11 years ago, um, and being patient, um, getting to know um, what this football club was about, uh, more than just acquiring a sports team, if you will. And I think the previous owners never bothered to do that. Believing in Anfield as as a spiritual home rather than knocking it down and go build something on Stanley Park, um, believing in the history of the football club and maintaining relationships with former players and despite the difficult time with Kenny, keeping him on board, a, a very important part of this football club, investing their capital, not taking a penny out of this football club, which they haven't done. And, you know, I was happy for them. I was more than happy. I was delighted for them. In Madrid, and I was sad that they couldn't be with Kenny and Rushy and I in Anfield the night um, the Premier League trophy was presented. They simply weren't allowed into the United Kingdom because they were from the United States and all of the travel restrictions. So I think it's it's if you will, it's Exhibit A of when a um, when a, when when a operating group sees something that they know that they can go get with a fight, go get it and then be patient enough to invest and invest and invest, both financially, both with people, and the, the end result um, of the last 18 months on the pitch um, has been reward for them. And for the fans, you know, it's, I'm, I am one. I always will be one. Um, you know, for me, this is my 61st year supporting this football club. Um, and, I, you know, I like to think that... Uh, I exit going back uh, to California, set my alarm clock for 3.30s for those dreaded Saturday lunchtime kickoffs um, that, you know, I always will be a fan. And the ability <clears throat> to come here for three years, add value, I think, uh, to the football club, uh, add value to the fans, I think. Uh, certainly the feedback that I get is, is that I did in some um, small way. And add value to the city. The city that in which I was born, uh, city my dad was born, my granddad, um, and and you know I know what this football club means to the people of this city, and getting the two closer, um, you know for me was part of my goals and objectives, and as I said, I think I've achieved that, and I hope it stays that way. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd certainly echo that. I would say you've certainly achieved that, uh, Peter. I want to say, just say thank you very much for, for your time this afternoon. It's really appreciated. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.